You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketer and publicist in the cannabis industry. I interviewed Jamie and Laurel, two great women from upstate New York that love making bubble hash and have jumped into the gummy game by launching the first hash rosin gummies in New York. Solventless extraction products have been very popular on the West Coast for years, and New York is about to catch up thanks to these ladies from Highland Goat. They are self-taught but inspired by the late Frenchie and Madame Cannoli, Mila the Hash Queen, and others. Let's meet Jamie and Laurel. I love your website. It's beautiful. I, I really, I just love the whole design, the branding. Yeah, thanks. It's really, really, really nice. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll just start from the top, you know, A to Z. And uh, I guess if you could just tell us how you um, both got into the industry and what's your background and what led you to cannabis farming. Right. Um, so we are we are manufacturers, processors of um of cannabis. We're based in Poughkeepsie. Before this, I was in the spirits business, New York City, living in Brooklyn, um, corporate spirits. Uh, I was brand uh, manager. And at some point I realized that liquor wasn't really for me. Um, and I went over to the green side <laughs> and um, uh, I have been in the business since 2016. I first started you know, consulting a little bit and going to every conference I could get myself to, um, you know, MJ BizCon, Benzinga, the Women um, Grow, um, any, anything, I, any information I could get my hands on. It was early 2016, so there wasn't as much out there as there is now. That's really early. I, yeah. I, re I remember just before 2018, the farm bill hit. And having a conversation with uh, a friend who's, you know, an investor, and we were just talking, like, "What do you think? Is it something yeah. we can invest in? And is this really happening? Yeah, Canada was legalizing, and uh, I, I, that's really early that you you yeah. were thinking about that. Well, I had, um, you know, I'd been in New York City for about fifteen years, and that was really the capital of cannabis on the East Coast, um, and I feel like I was exposed to um, how the plant should be. Um, at a, you know, at a relatively early time. And I knew that this plant, uh, she um, had a lot of potential and especially in plant medicine, which is the direction I was going in. Mm -hmm. um, at some point I realized that um, I was passionate about not just the plant, but how to process the plant. And again, I did a lot of research and a lot of conferences and landed on solventless um, processes or production. Um, and I think that is personally is the best expression of the plant when you process via no solvents, um, even CO2, which isn't really considered a solvent per se, but um, it's definitely a way to manipulate the plant that the that the final product to us, to me, wasn't um, isn't quality. Um, and uh, that's when I started just diving into solventless, what that means. It was again, it was pretty early 2018. Um, you're only seeing an explosion now of solvents processes. So right, right, that's right. when I met up with Laurel Mason, um, and we set on a, set off on a journey to um, 
make bubble hash, press it into rosin, and then use it in gummies and edibles, which is what we're doing now. We're pretty sure we're the only, definitely the only women in New York State doing it this way. Um, but we're we're thinking that we might be one of the first to actually have gummies in market with hash rosin uh, concentrate. Uh, so you're not you're not doing any farming. You're buying your biomass from somewhere else, and you're just extra, and you're extracting. Yeah. So we um, partner with New York cultivators um, and use their. Uh, we use mostly dry flour bud, um, and then we'll wash it um, in a bubble wash machine, um, and then uh, we produce the hash from that, and then we uh, press it in a. Um, a rosin press and we put that extract in our gummies so it's a there's a few steps in our process um which is why we consider ourselves now very craft artisanal you know cannabis company um i think there's a way to scale up or we're not focused on that right now we're focused on getting our product out into dispensaries that understand the value of well-made products. Um, we don't use gelatin, so our um, gummies are vegan as well. So is gelatin a, a dairy-based something? No, it's uh, it's it's made out of uh, some part of the bone, marrow of, of animals. And so it's not, it's not right for vegan people. Um, and yeah, so it's harder to make gummies with pectin. Let's just put it out there. With okay. gelatin, you can basically throw it into sugar and it creates perfect gummies. Um, that's, you know, ours take a little bit more work, but I think it's it's better in the, in the long run for sure. So I saw on your website, so you do ice water hash, hash, hash rosin and flour rosin. Can you explain briefly like the difference between those three processes? Yeah. Um, what is hash? Well, I'm going to put this over to Laurel just okay. because um, she actually is, we're doing a wash right now. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> so well, we're about to, we're about to, but um, okay. uh, our ice is, is um, cooling the water that we use. So let me hand it over to her. She's really working on this right now. That's okay. Cool. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. So I can just walk you through our whole manufacturing process. Really. We start with, um, I guess you would call it biomass. Um, it's like untrimmed flower, uh, untrimmed bud, and it's just kind of the whole the whole thing with the trimmed leaves. Where you know you get different levels of quality with that, but so you can kind of choose to use a more refined version. Um, we put it into an ice water bath in uh, basically a, imagine a washing machine, um, and then we get it really cold. You get the plant really cold, um, and then you shake it in the washing machine. You agitate it. And the plant is covered with all of these little trichomes um, that have trichome heads. And that's where a lot of the active components, the con active compounds of the plant are. Um, so that's kind of what you're getting at. Um, and, you know, you have like chemical-based extraction methods, like Jimmy was talking about, that basically use chemicals to strip those off the plant. We use uh, what's called a mechanical process where we get it really cold, such that the, the trichome heads get really brittle, the necks get brittle, and then you agitate it and they all kind of like shake off. So... I like to think of it as like an apple tree that has ripe apples on it. And you're trying to kind of shake off all the apples um, without shaking off too many of like the, the uh, branches and yeah. leaves and everything else that you don't want. So good visual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we, then you uh, drain the water through a series of filtration bags um, that have different micron sizes. So 
you're going from bigger size to smaller size hole. Um, if you can, they're very fine bags, so you don't see the individual holes, but they're um, that's kind of the level they go. And so you have um, four or five different bags, depending on what you're making. Um, the water with all the cannabis and all the trichomes floating around in it comes um, comes out of the uh, the machine, the, out of the vessel that you were using, like a washing machine. Uh, it goes through the bags and you end up with uh, basically um, different levels of size of, of, much of matter, which you're, what you end up with hopefully is a more uh, a mixture that is mostly, mostly um, uh, uh, um, trichome heads um, with some a little bit of plant matter. Um, and then you can also filter based on the different sizes of trichome heads because they're like different size apples if you can think of it that way. And then you kind of choose what you keep based on what you're making, uh, what the end product is. For us, we're making a, an edible product. So we have a little bit more of like a range that we can use, whereas like a smokable or adaptable product would be uh, maybe more, there'd be more um, demand for purity um, from the consumer. So um, yeah, so then you end up with um, those, you know, the mix of the trichome heads that's hopefully, you know, as, as many trichome heads as you can get compared to the plant matter. Uh, and you put it into a freeze dryer um, and that basically extracts all the moisture um, and leaves it as like a, a sand, a, a powder, almost like a sand or sugar texture um, that you kind of, uh, you keep very cold. So this whole process has to be very cold to keep it brittle. Otherwise it gets very, very sticky as you can imagine. Um, so you uh, take a bunch of that, you've ended up with hash basically. Once you freeze dry it, dried it, that's the bubble hash this like powder. Then we take it and we pack it into uh, bags, little mylar bags, and you put it in the rosin press and then you press it um, and out comes the, the hash rosin, uh, which is hopefully an even higher potency than what the hash is. Um, so you end up with something between, let's say 60, 75, even, you know, like very, yeah, you can get it even higher than that depending on what you're working with. Um, and, uh, and that's what we put in our gummies. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I know. I've heard it's a, it's a, it's a long process to, to get the, the, the hash, and it makes sense. And I guess that's why they call it craft. And I don't know what that means for scaling up. Is that does any has anyone scaled this up? I'm sure the West Coast, they've been perfecting this for a while. So I, I you know, I don't, I don't know if, if it's, it's really not a mass market product, right? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple companies in California, maybe one in Colorado that are using hash rosin. There are a bunch of companies that are using flower rosin, which is you put the bud in the, the press and you get the rosin. They're also using live rosin, which is um, plants that have been picked, you know, they're still green and fresh and they're um, flash frozen. And then they're put through the wash that Laurel was describing. Um, it's a, I think, and we think we know that the end product is, um, it's much different than bubble hash because you're getting a lot of the chlorophyll, a lot of the green, um, which is great, but it's also not good for concentrates. So we are doing it a different, little different way, but other people are doing it that live rosin way as well. Um, I would add though, I would respond also, it's actually interesting that you asked that question. It's a good question. And it's also, it makes sense that that would be like your first question to ask. We, uh, we have had people ask us that and, and, you know, kind of like dubiously, like, but can you really scale this? 
We can. I, I think we can. I think um, we've seen, like Jamie was talking about some of the companies that are doing it on a larger scale. Um, you'd be surprised how much you can get out from doing this process. Um, and then add to that that you can magnify it pretty quickly. You could, you could use a larger vessel. We could probably uh, quadruple, maybe go like five, six times even within a matter of like two weeks, I think we could probably scale up and you can scale up even more. I mean, think about like breweries, right? That have the big, um, yes. uh, yeah, like the big vats. There's no reason, I mean, hypothetically that you couldn't have a facility like that. Oh, turning out, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. I mean, yeah, yeah. But we're way smaller than that. Right. No, <laughs> yeah. no, yeah. yeah. Sure. But, yeah. But also the interesting thing with this industry is, uh, the new equipment that we need to scale and produce what we're doing, I find so exciting. Um, I actually interviewed a uh, someone who was an ex NASA engineer, and he is uh, he is developing, creating uh, uh, equipment for the supply chain in cannabis. But he he's been working on pre roll machines because that's his business. But we were just talking about all the different machines that are needed in our processes and it's it's kind of exciting but there's people out there making these machines you guys should get together and tell them what you need yeah, we should <laughs> that's his whole thing he wants to master the supply chain and his company is building all these different machines to to he's there he's very smart yeah, yeah. yeah this industry is so specialized that things that we use to make our hash, we're like, why? Like someone could make this better. Like, you know? Yes. No. And it, it's going, it's I, there are people out there and the technology and it, it, it is so interesting. So I was wondering what, what's the difference between hash and rosin? Is it just the process? It's, uh, well, there, you know, you could like flour rosin, you mean? Because there are different ways oh. you can make rosin. So you start with flour in both cases. Then if we're comparing those two things, I would say, the flour rosin is, is kind of like just pressed straight from flour and it produces a surprising amount compared to the weight of the flour, but it has more plant matter in it. Uh, it's like darker um, in our, you know, in our experience, maybe that does, there's some variation in that, but I would say it's darker. It's a little less, like the potency is going to be a little bit lower for us. You know, we're putting it in a gummy product, so we want it to taste good. Um, if you're working with a, with a concentrate that's not pure enough, it's going to have more plant matter in it. And it's going to result in a taste that isn't as bitter. Yeah. That is more bitter. I'm saying. More, the more plant yeah. matter has more kind of like bitter it, it can taste. Um, it's not the only thing that adds bitterness. You know, when you taste cannabis, like distillate to us is, is bitter. It's kind of like an acrid taste too. So it's just the way it's been processed. So setting that aside though, yeah, the, the rosh, the, the rosin and hash, that's kind of the big difference between them. Okay. And, yeah. and also with the with the um, cold water or with the solventless process, um, just to be clear for the audience, is that um, you're getting you're you're getting all the the best of the plant material uh, cannabinoids. Uh, right. Any cannabinoid you can grab in there, this is the best way to get it. Is is basically in in all the nutrients in the plant is is really what you're promoting in the, in this and in, process and in that process. sense exactly i see what your question was about then i would say yes it is whole plant it is full spectrum you know it is it's it's like a print almost of the plant that's kind of one way to think of it you know uh, it's like yeah exactly. okay okay so now how did you got how did you decide on going the solventless route did you do um uh customer research 
first who you know it's the new york audience what what who's the demographic that you're going after how did you conclude that or is it just something that you believe is such a great product and you were going to find your audience well um we did a lot of things a lot of those things um you know i i come from the craft um spirits industry so i always knew when i got into cannabis that what it is that i wanted to do wasn't large scale so i was looking for that um, process that captured the best essence of the plant but also kind of like was gentle with it you know all these toxins this toxic processes they just like mangle the plant right and it doesn't really matter what you use you throw whatever you need and it just creates you know a really potent product but one that I wasn't interested in um and that's when I started following people like Frenchie Cannoli and Laura Bell and all these really really um Madame Cannoli Mila who was like you know, a god, goddess, as far as I'm concerned, and um, just sort of was just inspired. And uh, we, I started going to some workshops, as did Laurel, um, to see how to make this crazy stuff. And uh, I'm we going to do that too. It. I just want to do it. I just, yeah. I, I want to do it at home. I just want to do it once. I, I you know, it's, it's fun. <laughs> There must be a market, a demographic for for your stuff. And certainly, I'm one of your customers. I I, I you know would definitely um, well, buy that. So I, I think we look at people like ourselves, women who are the purchasers and households. Usually, um, our products and our packaging are you know definitely slanted towards um, towards that demographic. Um, and age, honestly, it's it's 21 to 100 plus. Like. Um, it, uh, I feel like it helps people. I'm not, I want, I don't want to make any promises medicinally, but, um, again, it's the most enjoyable to eat because it tastes so delicious, which I feel like is a barrier for some people. Um, and also the feeling is a lot different. It's not like you get so high that you can't really function. It's more like a full body, full sense, um, help with sleep, help get out of bed, whatever, whatever you need it to do, it brings it to you. That's what I think. Do you think you're mostly skewing towards women? Is that because the design, the look of your company is just a very fun? fun yeah, it's uh, bold, but not, I wouldn't say not overly feminine. Uh, we try. Right, right. yeah, it's not overly feminine, but leaning over there a little bit. Yeah. But leaning a little bit, just because I think of our influence, obviously, but um, women are, I think, the most interested in the quality of products. And I'm, I know that's kind of a sweeping generalization, but um, that's what I've seen. That's what I've observed for the past seven years that I, um, they, they ask the right questions. They're the most interested in educating themselves on the plant. Um, I did a workshop in the town. I'm up in Westchester and it was, you know, it was sold out and people were asking like the best questions um which was really just like encouraging for me that um especially women all women asking me questions um going asking me where the dispensaries are opening you know all these questions that they obviously want to learn more so yeah so what like what kind of questions can you remember a couple off the top of your head that like about yeah, that i have ask? a bunch <laughs> one i think that kept on coming up is how do i tell uh, different what, what are the differences between a legal dispensary and an illegal dispensary um and a lot of those people that ask those questions have kids in high school and there's this you know fentanyl scare going on around cannabis which is to me is just mind-boggling but um 
So I always tell them, you know, you walk into a dispensary, the first thing they're going to do is check your ID. If they do not do that, you turn around and leave. Um, you can buy this stuff, as you know, in bodegas in the city, in gas stations, um, in those in fake dispensaries that look exactly like regular ones. And they have so many products, high, usually high THC products, like up to a thousand or fifteen hundred milligrams. And it's scary and it's dangerous. Um, so that's my first thing is I always say, go into a dispensary and they don't check your ID leave. Um, good, yeah, good, good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, and again, why? And that's because um, our product, the products there are triple tested. Um, they are tested for potency as well. They are made through a GMP compliant kitchen and a facility. So all these things that New York State has done to make sure that the products on shelves and dispensaries is clean and safe um, and good, you know, uh, not dangerous to consume ever, right? And how many people in your workshop were familiar with the different um, extraction processes like what you're doing? Um, not so many. I mean, I think they're very, they ask, they're, they're very interested. So I went, you know, I talked to them about the process and the differences between um, solvent um, extraction and solvent lifts, me mechanical separation, what the differences are. And I um I also brought samples and they can they all know because they they've had gummies from other gummies from dispensaries that ours tasted different and it it's more like of a nuttier taste like I don't know how to describe it but um you don't get that acrid bitterness um it's a pleasant cannabis taste if that makes sense yes um, yes yes that, I mean that's all you got to do you got to give people things that they want to eat. Um, and the benefits of the plant within them. And um, yeah, people are excited and we are too. And how about um, coming from the craft uh, spirits world, how do you approach or and probably the same way you're approaching your product launch is how are you, how do you, how do you, how do you market to them, uh, as, as, you know, educate them? Because it, you know, even I'm in the industry and been a consumer for so long and I'm still, I, I just haven't been able to focus on the exact process and the hash and the rosin and the butter, you know, all those different things. It's just so on my list of things to do to really just go in there and really learn it all. Yeah. But, you know, so think about what the consumer is, is trying to figure out. We have yeah. so much to educate them on. Are yeah, you, I mean, that's where we really have to lean on our butt tenders, you know, and how we educate them so they can talk to the customer because they're really like, you know, they're they're at the front line there. Um, and then it's our responsibility to educate the um, the butt tenders with, you know, marketing collateral, if that means sell sheets, um, um, seeing them at events and uh, or having tables at events where they can get to know the the, the products and you know, our, our, you know, our long-term strategy, like where are we going with products and what else can they see in their dispensary? So it's really just, just getting yeah. in there and talking to the right people and providing um, educational materials or just talking. I mean, cannabis in right now in New York, I feel like the cannabis industry is targeted on um, business to business because we're growing this industry, right? Um, but soon it's going to shift to consumer because we'll have more dispensaries open. So the challenge will be is how do you focus and target 
um, a consumer audience versus a business to business audience and get your your product across. So um, we're going to have to just get out there, you know. It's so I guess you'll just kind of be boots on the ground and a lot of demos and in your past experience in craft products, like say launching a brand new craft product that's out there. What did you find to be the most effective? Is is it those in-store promos or is it is it those dollar advertising, you know, digital advertising dollars or is, is it really kind of like one thing you can point to or you feels like yeah. it really moves the needle there? I think craft brands aren't really in, um, you know, above the line marketing or is not really something that uh, is a focus because it's such a craft small brand. I think um, when you get that, you know, at a home and whatever else, it's for big brands who have massive budgets, but also um, have, um, you know, the name recognition, their, their, their brands out there. So for craft brands, you got to be a little bit, um, you know, crafty or uh, a scrappy. I always say scrappy. Yeah, scrappy. Um, yeah. Which is again, blow line things like, like you said, um, tastings, in-store tastings for us because it's a different um, structure, different uh, the way that the business is structured. Um, we have to uh, look at opportunities like in social consumption lounges, which haven't even opened in New York yet. And then in-store marketing in um, dispensary. So it's more like below the line, you know, actual direct contact with consumers. And then also there's been a, an explosion of festivals and trade shows that aren't just for businesses, any business to business anymore. There's also consumer festivals and, and you can get, as a brand, you can get the table and just like a impact or you know, get yourself in front of thousands of consumers. So that's really how we're doing it. You know, we haven't had any of these yet, but New York State, the OCM just passed, um, you know, cultivators. Yeah, farmer's markets. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you guys be able to participate though as products? I thought it was just for flour. Yeah, no, it's not just for flour. Um, cultivators can sell flour and pre-rolls and processors can sell any value-add product products. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Processors can't sell flour or pre-rolls. It's only cultivators that can do that. But yeah. So whatever you're right. You have a, you have to have three cultivators per retailer. So the retailer is kind of like there's one retailer, three cultivators, and for each every three cultivators, you can have one processor. Okay. And so are you guys lined up to do some of those this this uh coming months? We're, yeah, we're talking with uh, people about, you know, collaborating, you know, with as many people as we can and kind of joining together, joining forces with some other licensees in the state. Yeah, it seems like there's going to be a lot going on. And I'm sure in New York City, I mean, there's going to be a lot of pop-ups and things like that. Yes. Yeah. For, you know, and I'm thinking for the holidays, how great is that going to be? Yes, totally. So, are your but, products in stores now? Are they have they hit the shelves? I saw you're coming this summer. Are they there? We're about three weeks away. Okay, yeah. great. So, okay, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and another thing why I think you guys really stand out because one of the things I noticed at that uh, Revelry Showcase uh, trade show is that you know everybody there had the one to one gummies. You know, it's like the THC one to one CBD. Maybe there was a CBN CBG in there, but I'm just like you know I thought. Wow. Okay. That's great. Hitting the market, introducing all this to New York, you know, new consumers, that's perfect. But like 
the like how many of those can you have on a shelf? So when I saw your product and I was on the hunt for the rosin solventless makers anyway, I was like, there we go. Nice. <laughs> They're starting. They're getting the ball rolling here. <laughs> um, so um, and then uh, I also saw that you have plans for maybe manufacturing other people's products. I guess that would be an expansion product. Are you in talks with other people out of state trying to come in and have you manufacture their products yet? Um, I think that is a potential other uh, kind of like strategy that we could pursue. It's okay. good that the option is there. Um, we're really focused on our gummy and our, our brand. Um, yeah. But I think we want to, it's great that we can stay flexible. And like if that were an opportunity and a way for us to, you know, compensate if, you know, depending on however this goes, you know, um, right. there are no guarantees about, you know, sales and all that. So um, it's good to have kind of like diverse diversification of, uh, but initially that's, we're not, um, we don't have immediate plans to do that, um, but we know there's a lot of demand for it. So, right. Yeah. And, and there's so many outside, um, brands, especially from the West coast dying to get into this state. So you could really have, I'm surprised you don't have people knocking on your door. You know, you probably will, especially now. We do. We get emails at all. <laughs> oh, you do. Okay. I was going to say, a lot of, yeah. <laughs> we, we definitely like are, you know, talking to a bunch of cultivators. I don't know um, if we would be so down with um, other big, 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 massive brands from California, just because one, we don't have the space, but also, you know, there's a certain ethos that we find really important that's part of who we are. And that doesn't include vape pens. I, I'm so, you know, so if somebody came in and wanted to use our space for something other than um, what we're doing, I think we just need to think long and hard about what it is that we feel we want to partner with and for why, what, what reason, right? And what type of uh, consumption methods are you just going to stick with the gummies or are you, so you're saying vapes are out, you're not going to be producing hash rosin vapes or anything like that, but okay. Yeah, I think at least for now, unless there were like a very sustainable way to to make a product like that, I think um, for us, the the waste that's produced is a big problem. Um, and also the safety of the product, um, the hardware that's often used is problematic because you have like heavy yeah. metal into the so we have some those are kind of our concerns with vaping and that's why we're not so interested in making a product like that um but i think pre-rolls would be something we would might consider you know if it were if it were a part of our brand i don't know we'll, we'll see we'll see you know like, yeah you're just starting out yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. like um like rosin infused pre-rolls or something like that exactly. or mm -hmm. uh, some nice yeah. oh that's nice i i know i see that coming out too that that's great Actually, I'm sorry, before this question, who was the farm that you said you're working with? I didn't catch that name. Farm called Alchemy Pure. What is it? Alchemy Alchemy Pure. Oh, Alchemy. Oh, I think I- yeah, They were at Rally Green. Oh, I saw yeah. that. Yeah, I did see that. Millerton, New York. Um, and we're also looking at a lot of other cultivators, you know, to the thing about hash, and we probably should have said this earlier, is not all bud or flower makes good hash. So part of the challenge for us, and maybe this is the, this question and the next question, but it's really locating or targeting the type of strain that works best for our hash making. And it's not like if it doesn't make good hash, it's bad cannabis. It's not. It's just it's just the way that the, the process works. So um, what we do usually is go to farms and look at their bud and see the trichome makeup. And then we bring like 
a mason jar with ice water and water, which is Laurel's idea, which is freaking brilliant. And uh, we it see wasn't it. My ice cream. <laughs> well, she picked it up from someone. I don't know who it was. Google. I picked it up from Google. Oh, Google. oh that Google. <laughs> All right. Uh, and we see how many trichomes actually are concentrated on the bottom. You can see it. Uh, and that's really how we sort of decide, okay, this is maybe decent flour for what we're looking for. And then we just work with it and we work with another strain and we work with another strain okay, and find so one that works best. Okay, so you're kind of going to your own farmer's market and, and yeah. hand picking. You're like the restaurant going to the farmer's market and, and getting yeah, the best stuff. Yeah, yeah, taking it back to the restaurant. You know, yesterday in the paper, uh, the one dispensary here in New York uh, that just opened six months ago sold twelve million dollars. Twelve million dollars in six months. So I'm like, well, wait, how many brands are they selling in their store? I'm kind of thinking about this, and that's just one store. The sales are out of control. So I think it's added an extra layer of tourism, tourism attraction to New York City. Um, and I think that is part of what you're seeing is people, it's a destination, a cannabis destina destination now. And uh, that's just gonna grow obviously with um, all the new dispensaries that will come online soon. And then you just, everyone kind of forgets the other boroughs, you know, um, it's not just Manhattan. I mean, that's, you know, we just talked oh, to and, some and great- New York state. Yeah, New York state. state. <laughs> yeah, and well, I was gonna move my way up, but, um, yeah, uh, we and New York State, you know, a bunch of guys from uh, Long Island City, and they were awesome. And, you know, they have something going on really, really great in Long Island City and, you know, parts of Brooklyn. So and then as you move up, um, I we are based in Poughkeepsie, New York, um, which is, you know, smack dab in the Hudson Valley. So <laughs> there's also a lot, a lot of, um, you know, more kind of crafty places like Beacon, Hudson, um, really, uh, really interesting places that are sort of exploding in terms of um, the cannabis population. Culture. But yeah, also like, you know, they're like little, they're like little Brooklyn or Williamsburg. Oh, I've been hearing that. Yeah. yeah. And upstate New York, is it Walden, another one or? Oh yeah, Walden. And then um, I've heard of those halls, like, the, you know, it just, it's. Well, New Paul's, I feel like that's college town that's always yeah. kind of going on but but yeah I've been hearing th those whatever towns you mentioned earlier upstate yeah there's like these little Brooklyn's I've heard of that yeah it's well you were up in you were up at Hudson for revelry and that's I mean you saw that's such a cute place such a great adorable I, I actually just took a train up there so I didn't you know I just got off at that stop but it it was uh just really a super cute town yeah, yeah. I'm so I, yeah. We're banking on those towns. Um, they all, most for the most part, opted in too for dispensaries. Uh, and that's amazing because it's a really cannabis friendly environment up here, region. Um, where I live in Westchester, maybe not so much. Uh, so the hope is, is that more and more stores and uh, counties and towns will opt in so we can bring the cannabis love to their Town. Who opens a store in six months and makes $12 million? I'm sorry, who does that? Somebody right? So maybe there's enough money for you brands. I guess there is, but I always feel like we're just, how does someone survive a business just operating within a state when you're manufacturing product? Yes. I mean, the hope is, is that um, there's well, obviously legal, federal legalization, 
Um, but also, you know, there's this model coming out of the Northwest, which is an agreement between um, Washington and Oregon that yeah. they can do uh, cross state transactions. And, um, and that's, I think personally, I think that's what's going to happen with New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, um, and, and New Jersey. Like, you know, and it uh, makes sense because I mean, I don't even know if you know this, but I, you know, we I think we have 66 million tourists that visit here every year, but like 80% of those are locals. And that makes sense yeah. because of all the yeah. commuters in the tri-state area. And as a brand, since you have all those commuters coming in, you want to be able to, to, you know, share your, like market your brand and sell cross state in this tri-state area it would benefit all three states and all the brands in these three states, because that's where everybody's moving around. It is. Yeah. You know? So maybe I'm, so I guess I'm really wrong because there seems to be money in there for you to survive. Well, we'll see. (laughs) see. And then, and then are you thinking, are are you even focusing on promoting yourself nationally or you're really just starting out of the gate? You're probably super focused. We're starting now. We're we're literally here. We're about to start a wash. We're like, we're barely able to even make it to the events, you know, like we try to. This we're we're like so happy to meet with you, but like we very rarely we're like so focused. On I, just know, I, I get it. I've been a small business owner a couple of times. I love it so much, and um, so tell us what you guys are doing because I just absolutely love being in the trenches like you guys are. I've I've done that kind of stuff, and but anyway, thank you so much for meeting with me today. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.